In 2016, scientists on Earth detected a fast radio burst from a distant region of space with no observable stars. The following transmissions were declassified by the scientific community and given to us to present as The Binary Saga. Log entry, Hymavina 96, 2401, Age of Radiance. Hey Jason, well, well, well. I was reading a great book about ancient magic and oracles, but it's nothing compared to what you are finding out on the edge of the system. A large rock formation with a set of doors? The writing translated into old Velen script? I'm completely stunned. Did you have a chance yet to go down and see it for yourself? I'm sure by the time you receive this message, Aaron's SI will have already translated much of what you've discovered, and the door has already welcomed your team inside. Again, you have me on the edge of my seat. There are too many amazing possibilities to even begin to speculate. I'm honored that you would tell me. Of course, I haven't breathed a word. Not even to Kai, who has constantly been bugging me about whether I've heard from you. I told him there was nothing new to report. I don't think he believes me, but I'm sure we will all find out soon enough. But right now, it feels like I'm the first to read an ancient manuscript before anyone else. I'm so excited to discover what is behind the doors. It's good to hear that the VSA is taking a slower approach. You know the stories of our efforts to rush technology and force findings. It doesn't always work out. Entire network arrays getting fried, airlocks on Braddett Station locking people out, and nearly wiping out the entire planet's population. There's an old ancient saying that comes to mind that's fitting for this situation. Klag einta pasvad vind, la de segla. Don't complain about the lack of wind. Learn to sail. I hope your trip home was worth it, and you all enjoyed some well-deserved time at sea level. Uncle Helgi and Aunt Juniper often say that after living on a space station or a spacecraft, the first breath of air after landing on the planet is the sweetest scent. They say being at home helps put things in perspective because, as you know, being out in space reminds us how small we are and how vast the universe is. When you step on Vela, I hope you enjoy that first breath and feel Von Law warming your scales. When you get back, there should also be a large crate for me. Your mom sent me one of her silly messages letting me know it arrived, and she also welcomed me into the Grandma Club. <laughs> Clearly our moms think they are hilarious. There are a ton of gifts for everyone, and a little something to occupy you when you need a minute to wind down. Let's say I called in a favor, and I got approval to send you an EO-based System 7 gaming console. I added tons of new games, and a few I think Nasu will enjoy. At the very least, she can impress her friends, because those consoles will not be in stores for at least another year. Also in the crate... Aunt Juniper sent you her new Director of Fleet Intelligence Challenge coin and a Fleet Commander patch for your flight bag. She says she's very proud of you. While you were out there discovering new and exciting alien artifacts, the Empire drama continues. During the Von Lichtbug, we were all speculating on the origin of the recent anti-house rhetoric. Anti-house rhetoric is not really a new occurrence. In our ancient past, we fought over resources, land, and power. Now we fight over business contracts, influence, and status. I guess nothing's really changed. 
Most anti-house chatter stems from jealousy, but oftentimes we're a curiosity, like the housers you told me about on Vela. People love when house members fail at something and try to catch them in compromising positions or take advantage of them. I have been a subject to all of those things. I think they forgot that behind the titles and the gates, we are still people. Anyway, remember how good House Laurelin's security division is at investigations and corporate espionage? Bjorn tasked them to discover the origin of this current anti-house movement, and they succeeded once again. Their investigation revealed that the office of the senior minister of Ghanima was draining funds from the planet's house-sponsored programs. These programs support charitable foundations, educational endowments, and supplemental assistance for those on AMA income. I still remember buying out House Lynn and thinking it was odd that their programs were managed through the office of the senior minister. This is not normal practice. Most house programs are blind trusts managed by independent financial brokerages that use sophisticated artificial intelligence-assisted software to predict market flows. This ensures growth and protects the fund from the whims of an enterprising politician. Anyway, those most upset were victimized by the loss of these programs and blamed the houses for breaking their oaths. When Bjorn gave Helena the evidence his team uncovered, he said that he got the impression she suspected the senior minister was behind much of the problems. Not long after, Helena tasked the Ministry of Finance to do their own investigation, and they reached the same result. The senior minister of Ghanima, Azana Cross, was summoned by the Ethics Committee to a closed-door session. <laughs> I wish I could have been a fly on that wall. Interestingly, she did not take any funds for herself, but spread them around to political supporters and interest groups. Azana is currently facing impeachment for financial misconduct by the Ganama Sankoma. However, it's highly unlikely she'll be removed from office, as she controls the majority of the votes. More likely, she will only face a censure. <laughs> That's politics for you. When this came to light, the other houses collectively donated enough resources to restart all the programs that had been cut. The fund is now being managed correctly, and with Ghanama's booming economy, those resources will grow and eventually help a lot more people. I sometimes worry that when I complain to you about the Empire's drama, I make it sound worse than it is. It's that I'm so close to a lot of it. But the majority of the Empire seems content to live their lives, make babies, and find their own happiness. Bjorn's father Nikolai gave a great symposium at Tanga Station on the evolution of Mana society and explained it better than I can. He compared society to a family. It's not perfect, and not everyone always gets along, but we are always stronger together. <laughs> I tell my kids that all of the time. The traditionalists won't always be in power. And in the immortal words of my politics-obsessed late husband, sometimes, in a parliamentary democracy, another party can win. Well, in more pleasant news, I got your message the night I returned to Viron from Alondra. I watched your message in the seating area on the House Laurelin Executive spacecraft and I pretended that we were traveling the galaxy, just chatting to pass the time. The executive spacecraft is similar to an inter-system commercial liner, except it has private suites instead of a large seating area. It's a nice way to travel, especially when you need to get some work done with no distractions. I was on a laundry to sell off a small subsidiary company. 
The owner was a pain to work with, fought us on every decision, and he liked to tell me that he knew better than... How did he put it? Oh, yes. Some smarty-pants house brat. If he knew so much more than me, then why were his numbers so terrible and his so-called innovative tech just cheap knockoffs? Needless to say, I was happy to let him be someone else's headache. Once I put the word out, I received a ton of offers, but none covered the original investment. I was going to take the highest one and chalk it up as a loss until an upstart technology corporation out of Yasna came in with a very healthy offer. It was enough to make me think that their team knew something that we didn't, but by then, I wanted the company gone. Because their CEO insisted that the closing be done in person, I was looking at a very long flight due to the orbits of Viron and Yasna. Basically, they were as far apart in the system as they could be. Interstellar travel is not allowed in the Lithian system, as there's too much space traffic, so I requested we split the difference and meet on Alondra. My team and I landed that afternoon in Brengar, and the meeting was very professional, and our teams were in good spirits. As I signed the electronic documents and palmed the desk to confirm the sale, the CEO lectured me about how one day, when I grew up, I would learn from bad business deals. She also crowed about finally getting one over on House Jorgensen as I watched the sizable funds transfer into our accounts. Her team began to pop bottles of sparkling vin as she laughed. All I said was, You're right. I am not as experienced as you. But you paid five times more than every other offer we received. (laughs) My team and I got up and left. The nice thing about being so young in my position... Everyone still underestimates me. (laughs) After the meeting, our good fortune ran out. The Brengard wind started to howl, and for safety, the city grounded all the shuttles for the evening. Because of this, my team and I were stuck on Alondra for the night. (laughs) The nice thing was, I got to have dinner with Andy's best friends, Gaius and Joel, and I met their new baby girl. Unfortunately, Nikki was taking his Calamar prep entrance exams the following morning, and I wanted to be there. He passed. Nikki filled every answer correctly until he achieved the passing score, and then submitted the exam. He didn't even finish answering all of the questions. Bjorn told me in private that he was disappointed, and complained about our son skating by when Nikki is smarter than that. I pointed out that it was pretty clever on Nikki's part and reminded Bjorn that he always tells the kids to work smarter, not harder, and our nine-year-old took his advice. (laughs) Bjorn opened his mouth to retort, but he knew I was right. (laughs) As for the twins, they are still doing great academically at university, even with the distraction of their active dating lives. I get vid messages from them asking for help choosing an outfit, or how to style their fleta, and I always get a recap of the date. Ragna told me that she's enjoying meeting new people, but hasn't met anyone she considers boyfriend material. I asked her what her standards were, and she simply said, Someone who loves me like Dad loves you. I told her that she absolutely deserved that kind of love, and should not settle for anything less. Calista, on the other thumb, has been dating a kid named Easton, who plays center forward for Skagen Tech's football team. We flew out to Huviana one weekend to visit the twins, 
and attended one of Easton's games. Nikki was very excited because this was his first live football game. The stadium was packed with 30,000 cheering students and fans. And Nikki was enamored with everything he saw, from the concessions to the music, but most especially the gaggles of college girls running around. <laughs> we got Nikki geared in university apparel so he could be in the school spirit. And we met Easton's fathers in the stands. They were adorable in matching jerseys with Easton's number, hats, and faces painted in Skagen Tech's colors. During the game, Easton fathers waved huge flags with the university logo, led our section in singing chants, and Nikki joined them blowing a war horn every time Easton scored a goal. Afterwards, we watched Easton get interviewed by sports reporters about their victory. We were impressed at his ease in front of the cameras, while he gushed about how he wouldn't be where he was without his supportive fathers. His fathers told us that neither of them were Futbolta fans before, but Easton's been kicking around a ball since he started walking, so they got him into the sport. He graduates this year and is already being scouted by professional sports teams around the system. Callista thinks Aluda rises and sets on Easton, and he seems really to like her. Bjorn and I joked that it's probably a good thing that he's such an excellent athlete, because he isn't the sharpest ice pick in the shed. <laughs> Ugh, I shouldn't say that, because he is a good kid, and he makes my daughter smile. As far as Astra and Galen, they are still very much in love. He traveled to Viron with her on their last school break, and Galen has been to Viron with his family, but now that they're older, Astra had a list of places she wanted to show him. Plus, she was excited to spend the romantic holiday, the celebration of Rodaria, with him. Long ago, Rodaria was a village seer that people claimed could see into someone's heart and predict love. There are many myths of her creating fieldstones for couples, giving relationship advice, or blessings of fertility. Today's seers claim to have Rodaria's clairvoyant gifts, and I am sure most are charlatans, but it's still fun to have your fortune read by a seer because the ritual is really entertaining. The seer brings you into their vision room, and the walls are covered with soft, translucent fabrics. Candles light the room, and floral aromas fill the air. You sit on cushions, facing each other over a brass basin. Once seated, you reach into a bag of stones and place them in a basin. The stones resemble field stones carved with different runes. Then you give an offering to the stones which can be a lock of your hair or cutting your hand with the ritual dagger. You recite an incantation, and that's when the show begins. I have no idea how they do it, but purple haze swirls from the basin, and the seer continues to chant, and you have this sensation of floating. In the haze, you swear you see an apparition of Radaria herself reach for your hand and tell you your fortune. I've been to two different seers, and though I got similar fortunes both times, it was still worth the experience. Clearly, they have a standard list of possible fortunes they use with people. The most fun is trying to interpret the fortune. How did mine go? Oh, right. She said that my soul was connected, and we would find each other on a different world other than our own. The only difference in the fortune I received when I was younger was the seer said that we would find each other. But later, the other seer said that we had found each other. 
Bjorn pointed out to me at the time I received the second fortune that we did meet on a different world. Of course, that was back when we were just friends and he was trying to get me to laugh. I'll have to remind Bjorn. <laughs> He's going to love it. <laughs> anyway, Radaria is now celebrated as a holiday, and we give gifts to significant others or to someone we admire. And while the holiday is celebrated everywhere, no one does the celebration of Radaria better than Talina. The city hangs banners depicting love runes, and pink and orange twinkling lights are strung throughout the shopping districts. Every restaurant has romantic dinner specials for two, but the absolute best part are the flower petals that flow throughout the city. Talina is filled with Kirsika trees that always seem to be in full bloom during the celebration of Radaria. Love is literally in the air. As you can imagine, the ever-romantic Bjorn always goes way over the top with his holiday. And this year, the holiday happened to land on our 10-year wedding anniversary, so I wasn't surprised to find a sea of sweet flower bouquets, balloons, and little gifts on the kitchen island when I came home. Closer examination of the cards revealed everything was addressed to Nikki. I peeked in a few cards, and they were all written in child's writings telling Nikki they thought he was cute, or they asked him if he wanted to come over for a play date. <laughs> so cute. Bjorn surprised me with an overnight stay at an amazing spa resort in the Yarva Mountains. After Bjorn and I got married, we celebrated our marriage there, and always talked about returning. The resort is incredibly decadent, with delicious restaurants and breathtaking views. What makes this resort unique is the enormous glass dome covering their pool deck. During the day, the resort heats the dome, so guests can lay out on the loungers like a summer day. But at night, the resort opens parts of the dome to cool it down. Then they bring out portable fire pits and lay wool blankets on the loungers for the guests so they can snuggle up and watch the Aurora Borealis. It's very romantic, and it was lovely to return, even if it was just for one night. <laughs> well, this summer was huge for Nikki because he attended the Fleet Cadet Space Program at the Husevix Fleet Base on Haimavina. Janine's son Marcus and Kai's son Lars joined Nikki for the week-long sleepaway camp. There are different programs for kids that focus on things like engineering, aviation, and robotics. Since the boys were in the 9 to 11-year-old group, they spent the week dabbling in each specialty, including building simple robots and getting to try out a real flight simulator. I should really have Nikki tell you about it because he has been talking about it non-stop since returning. I assumed his favorite part would be the aviation day, but he said he loved the robotics workshop the most. They made small robots that could do simple tasks like pick up a squash ball and drop it in a basket. At the end of the week, they broke the kids into teams of four and built robots to race through a maze. The boys were teamed up with an Alondran kid named Chris and built the winning racing robot they named Night Dragon. <laughs> Chris and the boys became fast friends at camp. Chris told them that he spent most of his summer at various sleepaway camps when he was not with his grandparents because his parents were busy at work. After camp finished, Rune picked up all the boys and spoke to Chris's grandfather about playdates. Chris's grandfather told Rune that he thought it would be good for Chris because his parents were actually going through a nasty divorce and they were doing what they could that summer to shield him from the drama. 
The first time Chris came to the estate, he was charming, and he showed off his magic tricks for me and Janine. It's hard not to love this kid and his big brown eyes. <laughs> Chris must have felt comfortable around all of us, because he confessed that he knew about the divorce, and said that he was going to be spending half of his year on Haimavina with his dad's family, and he didn't know anyone at his new school. Nikki quickly put his arm around him and said, What are you talking about, mate? You have three brothers who are going to be there with you. No one can break up Team Night Dragon. <laughs> As the afternoon went on, we watched how easily Chris blended in with the boys. And it's what I love about kids so much. They're so innocent and happy when they're just free to be kids. Bjorn and I were out by the pool judging the kids' impromptu diving competition when Arya, my head of security, called me from the gate. And she said that my ex-boyfriend Harik was there. At first, I was confused, but I remembered I missed the last trade commission meeting, and he told me that he could swing by later in the week and drop off the tablet device with all the information from the last meeting. I told Arya to let him in. While we were applauding the kids, Chris stopped at the edge of the pool and called out, Dad, watch this! Jason, I looked up at the sky and told Linnea she had a wicked sense of humor. Bjorn and I turned around as Harik walked down to the pool area and waved at his son. He sat on the lounger next to us and said, For the record, I had no idea until today. My dad thought Nikki and Marcus were Rune's twin sons. <laughs> then there was a little awkward moment until we all started laughing. Bjorn reached into a cooler and offered Harik a bottle of one of his favorite brown ales, and Harik gladly accepted the bottle. Over several bures, Hark gave us the quick version of his divorce, his promotion at Hoxha, the transfer back to Haimavina, and his concerns about Chris. Bjorn and I listened, and then I looked over at Chris. And he was just this little kid stuck in the middle, and I was happy that he found the boys. As I walked them both out, Chris gave me a huge hug, and I told him that he was always welcomed at the estate. While Chris was putting on his shoes, Harik spoke to me in Velen because he knew Chris wouldn't understand, and said, Thank you, CJ, for allowing Chris to come here. And for whatever it's worth, I am really sorry for... I cut him off, and said, Let's pretend we already had that conversation. The boys get along. We can start over from here. Harik smiled and nodded at me, and Chris hugged me again, and the two of them headed out to their vehicle. Hark turned back and called out, You should open that data packet. There's something in there you will want to read. When I got back inside, I opened up the tablet, which contained the standard minutes of the Trade Commission meeting. While reading, I was pleased to see how Minister Riven has turned around the trade negotiations. And then I saw the last agenda item that was discussed. The Samcoma is preparing an ambassadorial delegation to Vela, and they made a short list of potential representatives. I was on the list. <laughs> well, safe travels out there, and maybe I'll see you soon. <laughs> Love, CJ, age 67. Log entry, Vela 97. Vela Rotat 2721, cycle 10 of the 9th Anul. 
Hey, hey, CJ. It looks like we both had some eventful trips recently. I guess I never thought much about it, but a lot can change and happen in a rotat. You are usually gallivanting around the Alithian system, and I'm bouncing back and forth between assignments for the VSA and home. Well, one assignment, but it's certainly been busy enough. The trip back to Vela went great. You were right. Stepping off the shuttle and taking that first breath, after being gone for so long, was really invigorating. We didn't really have our own place to go back to to stay for the visit, since Isla is still living in our house. We probably could have stayed there with her, but I didn't want to inconvenience her at all. She is still working, and bringing in Nasu and Aaron and me into the mix would have been a lot to ask, which meant that we stayed with my mom instead. It actually worked out a little better since the whole goal was to spend time with her. Mom claims that she's feeling better than ever, but after spending almost half an annual with her, I can tell that the age is starting to catch up to her. I spoke with a nurse that has been assigned to mom as an in-home caregiver, and she said that it may only be a rotat or so until we see a more serious decline. Mom thinks that the nurse is just a live-in housekeeper, and none of us felt like we needed to dissuade her of that notion. She was already used to Isla coming in and helping out, so it wasn't hard to convince her before we left to have someone more full-time. Your package was delivered to mom's house shortly after we arrived. I guess it was being held at one of the VSA's postage facilities for members that are away on missions. We managed to get the EOS base system set up on mom's main widescreen just in time for a few of our friends to show up and hang out with us. Jonah and Kessa brought Penta to see Nasu and even Joru was in town and stopped by to say hello. I didn't spend a lot of time playing on the EOS as the house was a swirl with company for a few cycles after we arrived. Most of them were very curious about how the mission was going and if we had found anything yet. I had to break it to them that we hadn't seen or heard anything other than the strange rock formation at the time that I was there. Joru was the most upset about it as she is itching to get back out to exploring and finding new aspects of the universe. Even though I didn't get much chance to play on the EOS, Penta and Nasu loved the games you sent. And since they were the only kids in the house and the adults were busy talking about strange rocks, they spent most of the time playing together. It's okay though. I brought it back with me to the Hoata and hooked it up in our main quarters. This way, I know that it won't randomly disappear once Javi is back in the system. I don't know if you sent one to him as well, but if you didn't, I'm sure that he would try to acquire mine. Please thank Juniper for the coin and the patch she sent. I have already affixed the patch to my travel bag, and I'm delighted in showing it off to everyone at the VSA. A lot of the new pilots get jealous when they see all of the patches from Haimavina on my bag but some of the old-timers just roll their eyes and remind me that Haxa probably wouldn't let me fly anything in their fleet regardless of what patches I have. I'm not going to lie, Siege. When I heard that Bjorn had gone to Helena about the scandal with the senior minister, I was half expecting to find out that she was involved in the whole affair, especially given some of her past sentiment about houses and people from various planets. So I was pleasantly surprised to find out that she opened an investigation and did the right thing for all involved. I guess she has a lot more layers to her than I thought. 
I'm really happy that the girls and Nikki are doing so well in all of their classes. I didn't have any doubts that Nikki would pass his exams. He reminds me of myself when I was that age. Interested in everything around and always striving to be the best at any given thing. You should just be careful of his focus though. When I was younger, I knew that I wanted to become a pilot and get into space. But there were certainly a lot of distractions along the way. At that age, it was everything from gaming to sailing to other things. As long as he maintains his focus, that kid is going to go on to do great things. The celebration of the seer you mentioned sounds interesting. I have mentioned before that we only had wise women back in Vela's more tribal cycles, and then that gave way to the council. The times you have mentioned the seer has made me wonder what one of them from Hymavina would say or predict for someone from Vela. After the shock of meeting someone from a different race and world. Ooh, you know what might be interesting? What if you were to take the feel stone to one of them and have them hold it to see if they could give a reading of me from a distance? Could that even work? I almost always have mine on me, so I doubt we will have to schedule a specific time. Let me know if you decide to try this little experiment. I feel a little bad for Chris and all of the telac he has been going through lately but I'm happy that he has found his way to Nikki. Anytime you describe Nikki's personality, it tells me that he is the type that always puts others' needs before his own, which is an excellent quality for a kid to have. Chris needed a friend like that, and the universe guided him to Nikki. What surprised me was the revelation that Chris's father was Harik. That took me for a swirl for sure. To think that Harik is back in such a heartbreaking turn of events. I had always assumed from your messages that he was still behaving as he always had before. Kind of uptight and full of himself. To hear that he is going through such turmoil is a little sad. At first thought, one might think that he probably brought it all himself and is deserving of having some of his own medicine fed back to him. But on the other web, it's never good to enjoy somebody else going through a hard time. Plus, we don't know all the details of what led him to this state. It's simply better to hope that he's using this as a learning experience and coming out of it for the better. It's like you said, behind all of the titles and such, you're just people. So I take this to mean that there are some bridges that are being mended between you two? The biggest news you managed to convey is the fact that you may be coming here. Well, not here exactly, as I'm back on the Huata, and I doubt you want to come out to the middle of nowhere. Making the trip to Vela, though, that's huge. I know we have always talked about me coming out to Haimavina, but things like the various politics, scheduling, and this silly anomaly seem to be getting in the way. To have all of that turned around on us is kind of mind-blowing. Once we figure out your itinerary, I will see about putting in for some time off and coming back to Vela. Hopefully there won't be anything that requires me to stay here. I am so excited about this. All the things that I have only ever described to you, we can finally visit. We can see La'ar together. I could show you our end of the network. Better yet, we can spend the day out on the Astra. Your schedule permitting, of course. Speaking of my home... While the Huata may not be Vela, 
it has become quite the home for all three of us. Once we returned from Vela, things started to get back to normal around here. We got back into our usual routines of work and recreation time. Nasu got back to her studies and is running circles around some of her teachers in computer sciences. It wouldn't surprise me if she started developing the next version of an SI soon. Erin began poking and prodding the existing SI to see if she could get some faster results of the processing it was doing. And I went back to herding a bunch of scientists and VSA crew into something productive while we waited. While the SI continued its analysis of the rock formation and its mysterious panel, we needed more for the fleet to do. It was getting outright annoying to issue out busy work for people and the VSA kept bugging me about wasting resources while we sat here. So I came up with a plan. We had all these vessels out here doing nothing of significant importance. So I sent two of the research craft out to do a full surface scan and analysis of Key. The last few times we had anyone out towards Key were stopovers on the way to somewhere else. Since we had the capabilities, I thought we should learn more about this little planetoid. The scientists seemed keen on the idea of learning more, and they were growing tired of waiting. It's not much, but it's something. The VSF-3, also known as the Diani, was sent to Tekor Havala to do a more in-depth study of the moons in orbit there. While we have the mining station above TKH, there hasn't been an effort to learn more about the moons. With any luck, Sekor, Makor, and Chekor will become more well-known and studied like we had done with Chona and Chone. I doubt there will be any children's stories written about them, but you never know. We are keeping the VSF-4, the Pagihoku, with us in orbit of the asteroid. It will primarily be used as a transit vessel to bring supplies and personnel between Tanga, Vela, and the various outposts we have here in the system. Commander Yanni is not as pleased about this assignment since it relegates her to the role of a bus driver, but she understands the need. Navi's vessel, the Tokorapu, is also staying close by. I doubt I would be able to get her to leave the area. Navi has a number of teams on the surface of the asteroid investigating the various new elements that were found during the initial survey. Unlike a certain fleet commander, she gets to go down to the surface and do what she loves doing, analyzing rocks. Not that I'm all that interested in going down and looking at rocks. I just mean that it would be nice to get out and do something. Honestly, I haven't seen her this excited since the discoveries back on Chona. The other two research vessels have been going back and forth between here and the two remaining asteroids in the area. They are setting up enhanced mining operations and conducting their own studies to supplement the work that Navi is doing. Neither of their captains wanted to venture too far away just in case something came up. After I issued all of the fleet assignments and made my reports back home, the VSA is now evaluating what we are doing here for future exploration missions to neighboring systems. The first part of the exploration program is sending a single craft out to do an initial survey, like what Joru and Javi have been doing. Now the VSA is contemplating sending out small two to three vessel fleets to systems that we have visited to do a more comprehensive examination of planets and surrounding stellar phenomena. They are using the tactics 
that we are developing here as a basis for this and building a better guide for system exploration. All because I got bored and needed something for my people to do. It's almost Hymovenian in nature. While we are in orbit of... Um... Huh. I don't think anyone thought to name this hunk of rock we're floating over. Well, while we are here, we have docked the Huata, the Pagihoku, and the Tokorapu together to create a sort of makeshift station. This allows better communication since we're all hard-linked, and the crews love the idea since they can interact better without having to shuttle back and forth. The Rapu is a much smaller vessel and lacks some of the more accommodating features of a larger craft. Its crew have been taking advantage of both the recreational amenities and the research stations that are a little more up-to-date than what they have on board. Navi said that the halls over there are deserted most of the time now. We have the space, and anything to help further the science and keep the people entertained is a bonus. This had the added benefit for Aaron to network the SI processing and spread it across all three of the vessels to help with the load. If you recall, it took a few rotats of processing to gather all of the existing transmissions from the origin of the radio labs until now. So running through all of that to discover and translate a language that no one has ever seen has been rough. Once we coupled together the systems in our little station, Aaron saw a huge improvement, mostly from just adding the Pagihoku, since it's a newer model. When we mentioned using the Rapu, Navi had a good laugh. Apparently the SI hardware on her craft is a bit old. She said it would take a while just to do a substance analysis. Aaron has been trying to facilitate some upgrades for it ever since we linked up. Just under an annul ago, the processing finished. I know this because it was incredibly early in the morning when a number of alerts started chiming in our quarters. Since Aaron was leading the team that was working on this processing task, she set up some alerts to let her know of any key events. They went directly to her terminal, which was sitting next to the bed, and was very loud. It was only made worse when her message notifications started going off from the rest of her team, who also got the same alerts. There was no going back to sleep after that, even though I knew that they needed to go over all of the results, and I wouldn't know what any of it meant until much later. In case you don't remember, all of this was to translate the writing that was on the door to the strange rock formation that we found. There were two phrases etched into the door. The first was a form of ancient vellum that the SI still needed to translate, but at least it had the information for that. It said, Knowledge is not always worth the cost. The other writing was completely unrecognizable, except that it clearly looked like writing. The SI was able to piece together an extremely basic understanding of the writing based on all of the transmissions we have seen and heard from the anomaly. The second phrase translated to, It's a price I am willing to pay. This was a pretty ominous translation, and gave quite a few of the crew members chills to think about. The next few cycles were spent analyzing the translation to make sure, without any doubt, that it was correct. The last thing we wanted to do was translate a phrase or a word meant to be welcoming or pleasant 
into something offensive. Then the fun began. Now that we knew the phrase written on the door, we needed to figure out a way to use it to gain access. There was a lot of trial and error involved in this. We sent a team of three down to the formation and started trying different methods. The crew lead, Bane, stood at the panel and attempted to say the phrase out loud. He tried both the translated pronunciation and what the SI estimated the phrase would sound like untranslated. The problem with this was that he was in his exterior suit and nothing outside of the suit or on comms could hear him. We then tried an external speaker, but on an asteroid with no atmosphere, we had the same problem. I even had him hold up his terminal to the panel with the phrase written on it. All of this resulted in nothing. Aaron had been distracted with more analysis while we were performing all of our little experiments. When she found out what we were doing, she muttered something that I think may have been an insult to my problem-solving skills. She said that we were attempting to figure out a complex math problem by banging sticks and rocks together. I felt the feel stone in my pocket and thought, what's wrong with rocks? I kept that thought to myself, but potentially I sent that to you. With an open connection to Bane's terminal, Aaron began transmitting the code base of the translation to the panel on all of our known frequencies, including some that were known to carry transmissions from the anomaly. Once the broadcast was complete, a few lights began to flash on the panel. Everyone was on the edge of their seats as we waited for something to happen. Much like when the panel was first discovered, there was a low rumbling and the door in front of Bane began to shift and move. It was like the material began to separate in areas that didn't have seams before. It shifted inside of itself as it unlocked and revealed a small room on the other side. We knew from a number of scans of the rock formation and the area around it that there was a chamber just beyond what we figured to be a door. But after that, we were unable to scan anything below it. With his suit broadcasting to the rest of the fleet, Bane and his two teammates walked in. The door closed and air rushed into the chamber. Aaron commented that this must be some form of airlock. Once the air had pressurized, Bane noted from his scans that it was close to Velen breathable air, with just a few minor differences. Another door on the opposite side from where they entered opened to a long corridor. This seemed strange since there was nothing on the other side of the rock formation. The location ping from Bane's suit showed that he was now 50 fallows below the surface of the asteroid, which meant that the room was not just an airlock, but it was also some sort of elevator. Bane commented that none of the crew felt any sort of movement. Aaron also mentioned that the connection to the panel through Bane's terminal had been rerouted to the Hoata directly, and that all of the information that we were receiving was being relayed through that connection. This was good because I'm not sure we would have been able to hear Bane or see his transmissions based on our earlier scans. We weren't expecting to see any sort of structure that far below the surface. The hallway that Bane walked down was round, with more strange swirling patterns in it. As they walked further, they encountered a widening stream 
of flowing water. It brought them to a central room that was half submerged in water that flowed from a few other hallways. The walls were lined with various plant life that reached down into the water below, most of which we had never seen before. When Bane looked down, we saw that the water was actually populated with a few distinct species of fish as well. Above each corridor that branched off from the central room was a sign, written in that strange language. The SI was able to translate them to read, Pods, Monitoring, and Control. Those of us on the vessel above were all glued to our screens. I set Bane's feed to broadcast to the entire fleet and even opened up a priority line to the VSA and the council. Thankfully, they stayed quiet and let us do what we needed to do. I instructed Bane to check out the pods room first. The new hallway sloped down further into the asteroid and soon became fully submerged by the time they reached the main room. Inside were six containment units set into the walls with a control panel beneath each. The team could not identify anything inside these pods. They looked empty. The control interfaces were all powered down. Working their way back out, the team explored the monitoring room next. It was a little higher up than the main hub, so the water was only running along the floor. The entire room appeared to be a giant vid screen that lined every wall and a few interface terminals. The main screen looked like it was transparent or at least displaying devices that were installed deeper in the facility. There were switches, levers, and panels that looked like they would activate the devices shown. Much of it was, for a lack of better word, alien looking. In the control room, which had the same level of water flowing along the floor as the monitoring room, were a number of smaller access corridors that led to different devices and spaces. One of the devices was emanating a signal that, since we were connected to the system, Aaron was able to identify as the source of the anomaly. It was now in a passive state and emitting only a small amount of power. Against one wall of the control room was another strange door and an access panel. None of the other rooms they had found were closed off like this, so I told Bane to attempt to open it. This time when he walked up and pressed on the panel, the door opened instantly and his video cut out. Well, it didn't cut out completely. It just became obscured. The room was filled with various cleaning supplies and one of the rags had fallen over his camera. The view from his helmet caused a splash scare to everyone watching it. Others who were watching from the other two crew members' points of view started laughing hysterically. This was when Aaron created a running task list for the next team to go in and run an analysis of various systems and objects. From that point forward, Bane and his crew were given strict instructions to limit interaction with anything in the facility, as this was just a survey. Since that initial entry, we have sent multiple crews of scientists in to investigate. Unfortunately, due to the nature of being in command, I have been left off the list and must live vicariously through camera feeds of the ones that do get to go. It's a little sad to not be on the ground and seeing all of this in person, but 
I understand that I have other duties that need attending to. Erin requested access to the facility as well, but since she's more of a programmer and analyst, she is further down on the list than most of the others. To say that the VSA and the council are baffled would be an understatement. For the last few cycles, I have been on more calls with Vela than the entire time I have been out here. There have been requests for updates, analysis results, and speculation on who could have made the facility and where they were now. Oh, and if you thought there were conspiracy theories before, I think each of the council members has their own theories, including some that still think the Haimavinans are involved. In a very strange turn of events, the council has decided to keep the information of this discovery limited to trusted personnel only. They have prepared a statement to release to Haxa about what we have found, which is a slightly less colorful depiction than what I have described to you. They are being open and honest, if not a little delayed, behind what we are discovering here. I wouldn't be surprised if Kai gets an update similar to what I have just told you, but a few annuals after you receive this. Try to act surprised when he tells you. In other news, we got word back from Javi. It took him seven annuals to travel to BGU 483689, which he managed to talk his commander into naming, wait for it, the Mari La system. It took them another five annuals to survey the system and find an acceptable position for the relay installation. He is still there even now, and the bandwidth is not quite good enough for any direct contact. Javi said they had found 10 planets in the system, and one of them looks like it has some sort of plant life living on it. He expects to be in system for another Rotat at least before heading back and allowing the scientific fleet to better evaluate the system. When I asked him why he didn't just name the system after himself, he replied saying that it would be too conceited, and that he always imagined that the I in Mari was also in his name, and that meant that a part of him was always with her, and that was good enough for him. Just when I thought he couldn't get more Javi, he goes and says something like that. May the waves guide us, Jason, 67. Log entry, Haimavina 97, 2402, Age of Radiance. Hey, Jason. When your message came in, I was so excited to find out what was discovered that I watched it like an end of a vid series. That evening, I put together a little plate of yummy snacks, cracked a bottle of vin, sat in the sofa in our den, and I watched your message on the vid screen. When I got to the end, I was stunned, and I wanted more information. I started to call out, That was it? What else did you find? (laughs) Bjorn was on a late conference call in our office when he heard me yelling at the screen. When he appeared in the doorway, he thought I'd developed some desire to watch one of Easton's football games. (laughs) After Bjorn finished his call, he joined me to watch your vid message again, and we both appreciated your play-by-play description and were stunned by the discovery of an abandoned ancient laboratory. Of course, we have a lot of questions. But our first question was, why didn't you just start turning things on? (laughs) I'm just kidding. We're Mana. If something doesn't work, use a sword. (laughs) 
The SAMCOMA held a press conference based on the information the VSA gave them. And like you said, it was not nearly as detailed as your description. When Speaker Helena Uckland's press secretary started fielding questions, a reporter asked if HOXA would be assisting the VSA. The press secretary said that the VSA turned down their offer and noted that updates would be sent as new information became available. The cameras panned over several sour-faced members of the Von Law Anomaly Committee in the audience. Jason, I laughed out loud, because after getting dragged into that hearing, it was nice to see the door get closed on them. (laughs) The reporters asked a flurry of questions about how the discovery will affect relations, the no-fly zone, trade deals, tourism, and so on. And the press secretary kept answering, We do not know yet. And then he ended the press conference with, Until we get more information, our focus is on the upcoming election, and Speaker Helena Uckland is looking forward to serving as your speaker for another decade. (laughs) So presumptuous. I'm hoping the Lithian Alliance can pull out a win and become the majority, because I am so sick of the traditionalists. We spent the following Senadoc brunch coming up with theories about what was found. Kai wished the VSA had released more data because he swore the answer was in there. And then Bjorn's father Nikolai responded in his most anthropology professor voice. Dear boy, not everything is found in the numbers. The real question is, what does this mean for the Velens? My scientist brother rolled his eyes, and they started their ongoing discussion about what was more important, hard sciences or soft sciences. Thank you for the update on Javi. Mari had not heard from him, so she was happy to hear that he was okay. I did not tell her that Javi named the system for her. I felt that Javi really should have the honor of telling her. She is going to be thrilled. (laughs) Somewhat relatedly, the selection committee made their final appointments to the Empire Ambassadorial Delegation to Vela. The committee felt that because the Empire represents five autonomous planets... A representative from each planet should accompany the Minister of Diplomacy, Claire Fithian. Yours truly was selected to represent Haimavina. I honestly thought I was going to lose the spot to Representative Ben Kios. He heads up the Velen Relations Committee and has worked closely with the Velen Council for decades. I have known Ben for a long time, and while he was very gracious to me when he heard, I know that he was disappointed. Mari's dad was upset too because he's Ben's chief of staff and really wanted to travel to Vela. The selection committee specifically chose sitting Samcoma members and business leaders to ensure the trip would be more productive than ceremonial. I will be joined with Representative Conant Rebner of Alondra, who you may remember is the leader of the Agricultural Committee. Next will be Representative Micah Martel of Yasna, who is the leader of Finance and Oversight. Representative Alona Leskin of Viron leads the Spacing and Exploration Committee, and Sion Lee Frolana will represent Ghanima and has centuries of agricultural knowledge in addition to being an advocate like me. And I will represent the tech industry. Leaf and I have the double duty of representing the interests of the various house corporations. We all know each other well, and everyone was excited to be selected together. Our trip will only be three weeks, because it coincides with the legislative recess. Honestly, If the trip was any longer, none of us would be able to go due to our positions. Fleet Security sent a list of requirements for the delegation, and the council said that they will honor their request 
and mentioned that with everything going on out by key, coordinating a shorter trip on their end was welcomed. The delegation and our staffers are happy for a shorter trip because none of us are used to being away from our families that long. While we were talking about it, Claire, the delegation head, reminded us that the SAMCOMA diplomatic protocols allow the delegation principal, or principals in this case, to bring their spouse. Everyone was thrilled. Unfortunately, Bjorn will not be able to join me. The schedule is pretty tight, and we felt it was presumptuous to request accommodations for Nikki or ask our family to watch him for that long. Even though, he probably would have loved it. Maybe one day in the future, Nikki will be able to make it to Vela, just not on this trip. This is going to be particularly hard on me and Bjorn, because we haven't been apart for more than three nights since we got together. I told him, absence makes the heart grow fonder, but he said that he might explode from missing me. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> Hoxa and the VSA have worked out an interstellar arrival zone, and we'll be traveling on a Hoxa executive spacecraft, escorted by a couple of fleet ships. While we are there, the ships will stay in orbit around Vela, and depending on how we adjust to the warmer climate, we may stay on the Hoxa spacecraft and shuttle down to Vela. I've attached the tentative schedule so we can coordinate my times when I'm on the surface. We have downtime built in, and I have made a list of places I want to see, which include walking the city walls in CNR, Coulter, that Haimavina theme club you told me about, and I can't wait to try that delicious La Wena dish. Leif and his wife have asked if they can join us when we go sailing, and of course, I want to spend as much time as I can with your mom. Well, you may enjoy this. Because none of us are accustomed to different planetary environments, well, other than monoplanets, Hoxa set up a week-long orientation course at their headquarters in Ostersen Alondra. The first day, we received a bunch of booster shots, vaccines, and body scans to make sure that we were healthy enough to tolerate Vela's environment. We kept asking the nurses if they included Vlet in their booster shots, and their deadpan response was, Gosh, very funny. I've never heard that one before. <laughs> The following day, after the medicines and vaccines worked their way through our systems, was dedicated to light gravity training. We gathered in a padded training room, and the floor plates were gradually adjusted to match Vela's gravity. Everyone got a little queasy, but I'm pleased to say that I only vomited once. <laughs> it took the better part of an hour to adjust to the new gravity, and eventually we all felt light as air. With the exception of me and my staff, the delegation members and their spouses are well over 200 years old. Claire is over 300, but she is in amazing shape. The joke among the diplomats is that in order to be one of her aides, you have to be able to run 5 kilometers in 20 minutes because she likes receiving her morning briefings while jogging around the Ministry of Diplomacy's grounds. <laughs> Not surprisingly, during the dexterity portion of the training, Claire literally bounced circles around the rest of us. We also got to play Space Tag, the version they play in the fleet, not the game that Nikki and the kids learned from Erko. Let's just say it got really competitive. In the attached vid, you can see a huge guy with his hair in a top knot calling out war chants. That's my executive assistant, Tormund. 
and he took the game very seriously. <laughs> You'll meet him. He's hilarious. At the end of the week, we received honorary Hoxa crew patches, and then our trainers broke the news that we would be wearing ankle weights while we were on Vela to help with the lighter gravity. <laughs> we all laughed. I mean, they could have led with that. <laughs> Apparently, the real purpose of the training was for us to bond as a group. Bjorn and Nikki joined me on Alondra towards the end of my training, and Nikki charmed everyone and even got a tour of the Hoxa grounds. After the training was completed, Nikki was excited to spend the weekend with his friend Chris at his mom's house, while Bjorn and I snuck off to Vasa for a romantic getaway. Our next training was spread over several long vid conference calls and a couple of weekend sessions at the Ministry of Diplomacy. Career diplomats jokingly referred to this training as charm school, because we basically got a compressed version of everything new diplomats learn in a short period of time. But I can tell you, it's not charming at all. <laughs> They trained us on everything from protocol to security procedures. We learned about Velen customs, cultures, and history. I was familiar with most of it, but I had no idea that Velens plant Lumikai outside their new homes for good fortune. I enjoyed learning that even Velens are superstitious like us. <laughs> We also had required Velen language classes. When I mentioned that my staff and I were fluent in Velen, they tested us. We all received scores lower than we deserved. Our examiners said that we all spoke colloquial Velen, <laughs> and still made us take the training anyway. <laughs> well, so many family events happened this year. I don't even know where to begin. The nice thing is, I will be seeing you in a few months, so I can go into more details and show you all my pictures in person. But I'll give you the highlights of the major ones here. The girls are all university graduates. Where did the time go? I swear, it was only yesterday I sent you pictures of the three of them as giggling toddlers making sandcastles on the beach. The twins moved back to the house, and we love having them here. Ragna decided to pursue an advanced degree in finance at Tallinn University, which is where Bjorn attended for his advanced degree. Kalista took a research assistant position in the House Jorgensen Marketing Department in our Tallinn office. It's only part time, but she's really trying to prove herself, so she's there all of the time. Astra decided to follow in my footsteps and get a dual law and advanced business degree. She was accepted into Hopnina University, but decided to continue on at Stromheim Polytech. This may have to do with the fact that Galen was also accepted into the same program, and they want to stay close to each other. Callista's boyfriend Easton signed with the Brengard Sirens on Alondra for one season, but he hardly got to play. When his contract ended, his fathers thought his professional football career was over, but his agent came back with a five-year contract to play for the Tallinn Lions. They offered him a lower salary. But a starting position and a massive signing bonus. Easton took it without hesitation. Callista was thrilled. Apparently, the Tallinn Lions made it to the playoffs for the first time in decades, or so I was told by Kai and Mari, who are avid fans. Easton is a Londrian, but was raised all over the system because his fathers are diplomats. Even though he purchased a trendy condo near the stadium, he is at our house. All of the time, he claims that our house feels comfortable and stable. Stable? It's more like controlled chaos. <laughs> Because of this, 
I have learned that 20-year-old boys eat everything and anything. I came home from work one day to find Easton standing in the kitchen with an open jar of pickled herring, cucumber spears, and a stack of lefsa he was making into little rolls. I asked him if he and Clista were still joining us for dinner at the local tavern, and he replied, Oh, we are! This is just a snack! <laughs> I feel like it wasn't that long ago I told you about the girls getting our family hoof floor inked on the back of their right hands. Well, this year was Nikki's turn. You may remember the huge fight Grandma Vera and my mom had over my runes. To this day, I still agree with Vera, and I think having my family runes blended was a good idea. The girls got the runes that corresponded with the family name I gave them, so there was no issue with my mom. Because Nikki carries both the Jorgensen and Laurelin names, I feared repeating the past with Bjorn's mom, Elena. I've known Elena for nearly 30 years now? But I still have trouble reading her due to her dry sense of humor. She also rarely speaks unless spoken to, but is known in the family for her playful names she gives everyone behind their backs. During one very drunk little Linnea party, Erico suggested that we play a game he made up called Elena's Call Signs. He passed around blank cards, and everyone wrote their own name on the card. Then we mixed them up in a bowl, and everyone chose a card. We wrote what Elena calls that person on the other side, and then took turns guessing. It was hilarious, and I didn't even know some of the nicknames. Pretty soon, it was Erko's turn, and he held up a card that read, Wizkid. And we all knew that one, and called out, Helgi! Helgi practically danced with glee. Helgi then held up a card that read, Vera's son. And we all laughed. My dad just shook his head with a laugh and asked Elena if she knew his name. Elena smiled and said, Of course I do, child. It's Susella's father. (laughs) And we all laughed when Elena called my dad by his name and said that she was joking. And then my dad held up a card that read, Princess. And everyone called out, My name. I buried my face in Bjorn's chest in pure embarrassment, as everyone laughed at me. Bjorn commented that I was technically a princess. And I said to him, Look, little lion, I don't think your mom means princess as a compliment. (laughs) Elena quietly chuckled and winked at me. Anyway, just before Nikki's 10th birthday, I sat with Elena and I explained to her what happened in the past with my family, and how I didn't want it to cause a rift between us. Elena sat there, quietly staring at me, and I swear her gray eyes were piercing through the back of my skull. I kept talking, and she still said nothing. I am a skilled negotiator, but her silence was unnerving. Elena finally smiled and said, Honestly, I don't care, Gulta. When I told Bjorn, he gave me his most smug look and said, One day, you'll listen to your mentor when he tells you that his mother loves you and will be happy with whatever you decide. I pinched him. (laughs) When Nikki got the hoofloor inked, he tried very hard not to cry, but his little lip quivered and his tears fell as the artist began. 
I held onto his other hand, and I told him to focus on me. Nikki did, and I saw him look at my right hand, and then up my arm. I think it was the first time he really noticed all of my hoof lore, and he started to ask me about what everything meant. It was a good distraction for him. I surprised Bjorn, and I decided that Nikki's hoof lore would be the Laurelin and Jorgensen family runes blended together. I got the idea from Empress Hera and Lord Ivar's tomb, where the blended runes are carved into the stone entrance. Bjorn loved it, and was incredibly touched that I decided that for our son. He suggested that we also have the blended runes inked on our right shoulders that same day, and Nikki was very excited to share that with us, and it was so cute when he insisted on holding our hands when we got our matching hoofloor. Well, Astra may have had the biggest year of all. She recently celebrated her 20th birthday, which means she's considered an adult mana. She also premiered at the Old Family Court as the newly named heir apparent to House Jorgensen. When the girls were younger, they would sit on our bed and watch me get ready for the galas. I always let them play dress-up with my clothes and makeup, and Astra even selected the gown that she wanted to borrow for her premiere. However, we didn't expect her to grow a head taller than me, so we all went shopping. (laughs) Because only matriarchs and titled house members premiere, the twins will not have their own premiere. But that didn't stop me from spoiling them with gowns and jewelry. Once they turn 20, they will be attending the galas and other events. And all three of them looked beautiful, and I may have teared up a few times after each girl exited the dressing room. (laughs) I really wanted to host the gala, but the estate was undergoing a much-needed renovation for the past year. I was afraid the timeline was too short, but my contractors and interior designers said they would make it work. Everything was completed on time, even the new wing off the east side of the main building and three new cottages. Our curators were also able to clean and display the ancestral heirlooms, banners, and artwork we selected from the family vault for the gallery hall, which was where the gala was held. I even managed to get our apartment completely redesigned as a gift for Bjorn. When I walked him into the refresh space, he first noticed the layout was centered with the balcony off our sitting area, the broken fireplace had been repaired, and the third bedroom was no longer Nikki's room. Since Nikki is almost a big kid, he now has his own one-bedroom apartment. I honestly don't know who was happier about this change, Bjorn or Nikki. (laughs) Anyway... The gala was absolutely perfect. Astra looked gorgeous when she entered the hall and was announced to court. Grandma Vera met her at the end of her walk and introduced her to all the Samcoma representatives. After that, she was past the Daya Yaolin for the old family introductions, like Lillian Fjallstedt did for me at my premiere. I watched Astra mingle like a natural, and Daya told me later that she did great and aced her introductions. I thanked Daya for her help, and she said, You know, this doesn't make us friends. I still don't like you. And I said, the feelings were mutual. (laughs) But then we couldn't help it, and we laughed at each other. (laughs) Soon after that, my dad got on the microphone and thanked everyone for attending the gala and welcoming Astra so graciously to court. He gave a sweet speech about the sacrifice that the original matriarchs made to keep Haimavina alive, and everyone toasted them, and the band began, which started the dancing portion of the evening. Bjorn and I often do not attend the galas, 
and we almost always leave before the dancing begins. With the exception of a couple of events, we decided a long time ago that we did not want to be a public couple. Of course, when we do attend, we always seem to make the official photos. But that night was for Astra. So we retreated to the upper level of the gallery to watch the rest of the evening. Astra and Galen looked like they were having a great time out on the dance floor and joined us when they needed a break. There were some really lovely official photos of the two of them. Unfortunately, about a week after the gala, they broke up. Astra told me that Galen had started to get distant, and finally he told her that he loved her, but he didn't think he could be with her. Astra was devastated and could not understand what happened. Not long after, Bjorn and I were at the Dockside Brewery chatting with Galen's parents. The four of us were completely shocked by the breakup. They told us that Galen had been moping around the house and didn't want to talk about it. And then Galen quietly appeared at the table and asked if he could talk to me alone. Once we found a quiet place to talk, I told Galen that no matter what happened between them, I was still his auntie CJ, and he could talk to me about anything. And he immediately started to flood against my shoulder, and I hugged him. He eventually told me how much he missed Astra, but after seeing her at the gala, socializing so easily with various dignitaries, he convinced himself that he wasn't good enough for her. And I asked him if he loved my daughter, and he nodded his head and said with all of his heart, And I put my hand on his chest and said, All that matters is how you feel right here. Then I told him that he was one of the kindest, most good-natured people I knew, and that my daughter was the lucky one. And that made him smile. Galen wiped his eyes and asked if he thought that Astra would take him back. And I told him that I would happily bring him to the estate so they could talk. The next morning, Astra and Galen were back together. We think they will be announcing their engagement any day now. (laughs) Well, everything else will have to wait until we're sitting across from each other, sharing a couple sidras. (laughs) I can't wait to see you. Love, CJ, age 68. You've been listening to an episode of Binary Saga. The part of CJ is played by Vanessa Shannon Anderson. The part of Jason has been played by Steve Petricelli. Music by Eric Matias and soundimage.org. Thank you to our Patreon members, Rob and Mary Carnahan, Samantha, and Dr. Layla. If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting our Patreon page, which can be found in the Where to Find Us menu on our website. We have multiple levels of support, with a lot of fun special features like transcripts and photos. Or if you just want to donate to our Café, Bjor, or Sidris funds, it's always appreciated. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook with at TheBinarySaga. Want to ask us questions? You can join us on Discord for open chat. Find all of these links and more information at BinarySaga.com. You can also read the print versions of the entire first and second season in Kindle or paperback on Amazon. These versions include a number of extra stories and background information. Just search for The Binary Saga.